Hi, this is Ben Lola, back to the Bible Canada. Thanks for joining us today. In today's message, we continue our series on 1 Corinthians with Dr. John Newfeld with a lesson on the outcome of mere humanity. So let's turn in our Bibles now to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 to 9. I used to play racquetball with a man who used to wear far too much aftershave. Now, since I don't have the greatest sense of smell and because I rarely ask myself what kind of scent a man should wear, I never really noticed until one time when he asked me if, if I could have coffee with him after the game. Well, I was delighted to. We had shared coffee on more than one occasion in the past, but on this occasion, he was nervous and he looked strained and even uncomfortable. He told me he had something very serious to tell me and I sensed, wow, this is going to be difficult. And he opened up with a question. Did you ever wonder why I wore so much aftershave? And I was honest, no, never crossed my mind. Well, he said, I want to tell you why. Because sometimes when we come to play, I'm drunk and I smell like alcohol and I wear this stuff to make sure you would never know. Well, I told him I was sorry that I hadn't been a better friend to him. And he told me that he had been to his first ever AA meeting. It had been devastating. And I asked him why. And he said, well, I told a whole group of people that I was an alcoholic. And the minute those words came out of my mouth, I felt something I'd never felt before. I felt both condemned and ashamed. And at the same time, I felt free, like for the first time, it really is possible to be honest and to believe there might be hope. And now I'm telling you, I feel I don't need to pretend any longer. He also saved uh, money on aftershave, I need to say. But I've never forgotten that. In many ways, what my friend did is no different than what every new convert does. The first admission that we are sinners, so deeply and hopelessly sinful, that nothing but the savage and cruel death of Jesus will atone for our sins, is a moment of honesty unlike any other. It is shameful and oh so freeing at the same time. But for the Corinthian Christians, there must have been a moment very much like that as they would have publicly read 1 Corinthians in a worship service, a letter to all of them, as they listened carefully to what the apostles said to them and to their church, came that moment when the apostle wrote, I could not address you as spiritual people. Instead, you are still infants in Christ. You've never moved from being people of the flesh. You're stuck in spiritual childhood. You've never become mature. But just like my friend who finally admitted that he was an alcoholic, if the Corinthian church admitted this, this might just become the beginning of something wonderful. Yes, they would feel ashamed and embarrassed, no doubt, but if it led them to identify what it was that kept them in their spiritual immaturity, they might learn to become what Christ truly wanted them to be. Rather than condemning them, Paul is determined to show them the painful reality of their condition in order to lead them to what Christ wanted for them. Well, let's read today's text, 1 Corinthians 3, 5 to 9. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. Now it's clear as we read this passage that the key area where the Corinthian spiritual childishness showed up 
was in their relationship with their leaders. They didn't understand who their leaders actually were, and that lack of understanding showed that they had never grown beyond spiritual infancy. And to some of us, that might be a new thought. Is it really true that we are shown to be immature in our faith when we fail to understand the role that God has given spiritual leaders and teachers? Let me see if I can explain that. Three chapters later, Paul will remind the Corinthians what they used to be. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11, he reminds them that some of them used to be, that is, before they were converted, they used to be sexually immoral. Some worshipped idols, some were unfaithful to their spouses, some practiced homosexuality, some were thieves, some were drunkards, and so forth. And then Paul adds, that's what some of you were. But you were washed, and you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now, since we know that a number of the Corinthian believers had not grown up in Christ, we might have expected Paul to say, you used to be sexually immoral and so forth, and some of you have fallen back to those old sinful patterns. And in our minds, we might think now, falling back to old patterns of sinful behavior, that would signify spiritual infancy. But Paul knows that conversion delivers a person from those baser impulses in life. When the Spirit enters, he will say in 2 Corinthians 5.17, we become a new creation in Christ. Those old things just begin to fall away. But to have done away with these things that once enslaved us does not necessarily indicate we're spiritually mature. And that's what's so surprising. Let me put it another way. Some very spiritually immature people have done away with every form of vice. They aren't sexually immoral. They don't cheat on their income tax form. They determine to tell the truth in matters. They even act with graciousness in public, but they have not grown up spiritually. They are still people of the flesh, merely human. So let's go back to 1 Corinthians 3 verse 4. Paul says, for when one says, I follow Paul and another, I follow Apollos, are you not merely human? Now, since, as we've seen in our last study, Paul equates being merely human with being an infant in Christ, the idea that the Corinthian Christians would create a competition among godly pastors and teachers indicated they had not grown spiritually. You know, another way of putting this is that a natural outcome of not growing spiritually is that Christian people do not know how to relate to their leaders who teach them the gospel. Now, perhaps that's you, my dear listener. Perhaps you've berated your pastor who faithfully preaches Scripture, and you've asked why he's not as exciting or as, or as deep or as dynamic or maybe as transparent or as engaging as someone else. And you've criticized him, and, and perhaps you've even wounded him, but you feel justified. I mean, if only your pastor were more like Paul or, or like Apollos, and yet all the while you're simply indicating that you've remained in spiritual infancy. How wonderful it would be to get honest. I'm still merely human, a man or woman of the flesh, a spiritual baby not ready for solid food. As condemning as it may be to admit that, that first confession might just bring about a wonderful avenue for growth. And so in the passage before us, Paul helps us to see how we might become spiritually mature. But before we do, let's backtrack just a bit. In verses 3 and 4, he tells them that while there is jealousy and strife among them, in the form of the one who says, I follow Paul, and the other who says, I follow Apollos, that this strife indicates they're behaving in only human or a fleshly way. So let's see the outcome of mere humanity or spiritual infancy. Paul mentions two markers. First marker, jealousy and strife. Interestingly enough, the word for jealousy can also be translated as zeal. 
You know, you know, it's when we know we are right and want to convince everyone else we are right. For instance, have you ever met an anti-smoking crusader? I mean, a really ardent one. Maybe they've been a smoker before and finally quit, and now stop smoking is their entire message. I mean, you can't have a normal conversation with them anymore because they're on a mission. And it was this that was affecting the Corinthian church. One group said, I follow Paul, and they were on the Paul campaign trail. I mean, they had zeal. And another said, I follow Apollos, and they were on the Apollos campaign trail. And each side was singular around their leader. And out of that, all manner of arguments began. It's amazing how singular arguments divide believers. One believers will get on an end times crusade. We never hear enough preaching about the second coming. The next one will get on the, we need to do more about the poor campaign. Another will get on, why isn't there more about missions call? And another wonders how we respond to homosexuality and abortion, or how about that stuff on creationism, since our kids are all subject to evolutionary teaching in schools, and someone else wants to know why we aren't doing more to stress spiritual gifts, and others stress the need for miracles and signs of the supernatural. How about scriptural memorization and, and serious discipleship classes? You know, I've been around the church long enough to be convinced by every single one of these causes. The list of individual causes is endless in today's church, and please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that these matters are not important, but can't you see, jealousy and strife are sometimes the result. Someone will say, it's only human to have our causes. Each of us, because of our background and personality, has causes we feel strongly about. Yeah, that's true but it's also spiritual immaturity. And Paul tells the Corinthians what comes of this, jealousy and strife, and that leads to a devastated church community. It's where everyone is following their own path, choosing their own leaders and going their own way. And soon one group begins to mistrust another group because they haven't seen things their way. And the reason for that is simple. It happens when a group of people simply refuse to grow up. They continue to be spiritual children. So, Paul then moves to the cure for mere humanity. And here we come to verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. And when we come back from that verse, we will learn how to grow to become spiritually mature, all that Christ wants us to be. What is the key to a church that is unified, steady, and mature? How can we avoid the divisions and conflicts that are so easy to get caught up in? I think we've seen from this passage so far that we must first recognize our own tendency to be spiritually mature, like infants, and to realize the destructiveness that comes about when we choose to just act as mere humans amongst our brothers and sisters in the church. Well, after the break, Dr. Neufeld will help us understand how important it is to have a right attitude towards the leaders that God has put in our midst. John 1.12 reads, But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Well, this verse expresses the heart and mission of Back to the Bible Canada. We teach the Bible, but for a purpose, that those who hear might receive and believe in the Lord Jesus. That's the intention of every program, every word. Whether on radio, podcast, mobile application, Truth and Life magazine, Truth and Life Today, or our young adult ministry in doubt or the many who tune in to listen to Laugh Again. Every program and resource serves to deliver 
God's Word so that those who hear would be saved. Thank you for embracing and supporting this mission. Your gifts make all that is done through Back to the Bible Canada possible. And please consider supporting the ongoing ministries of Back to the Bible Canada as we strive to reach our December year-end goal of $465,000. Call us today at 1-800-663-2425 or donate online at backtothebible.ca. In our passage, Paul gives us three cures for spiritual immaturity. Here's the first of them. Learn to recognize God's assignment for his leaders. Paul points out the real problem with Corinth. The Corinthians didn't realize that the various leaders that they had were God's servants. I mean, think about that for a moment. I mean, didn't they know that these men served God? Well, the word servant here often referred to a table waiter or what in a restaurant today would be called a busboy. You know what a busboy is? I mean, after everyone's eaten, he shows up, clears the table, cleans it with a rag, and then resets it for the next group. And if you're a busboy, make no mistake about it, you're at the bottom. And you are definitely not management. Your job is to do exactly what your boss tells you to do, and that's how you're a good busboy. Paul thinks he is God's busboy, doing what God assigned him to do. And that, of course, means that Paul was given an assignment by God. God told him, here's what I call you to do. Plant the church in the city of Corinth. Establish its foundation. That was his assignment. Apollos, the next lead pastor, came to Corinth and was given an assignment as well. Launched the church to the next level through effective evangelism in the community. But these men were simply performing an assignment that God, in his infinite wisdom, not only gave them, but specially equipped them for. Now, if the church of Corinth had been spiritually mature instead of babies, they would have looked at the difference in these two leaders and have seen, wow, God has such different assignments for different people. That's why he makes people the way he does. I don't have to worry then that Paul is not like Apollos or Apollos is not like Paul. God actually uses very different people at different times. It's his design. Furthermore, the people of Corinth might have applied that to their own lives. Just like my leaders, I too have strengths and weaknesses, and I also have specific assignments from God. I'm going to learn what it is, and I'm going to get better at that. But instead of seeing that, they started fighting about who was better. And Paul says, grow up. Learn to become mature. Now, once you and I recognize that not only does God give assignments, but also assign strengths and weaknesses to various leaders— You know, all jealousy and strife ends in the church. So let me ask you this question. What's your assignment? Are you able to look at your leaders and instead of judging them, coming to terms with your assignment from God? Now that's becoming more than human. It's becoming spiritual. Here now is the second lesson on growing spiritually. Learn to recognize God in action. Look at verses 6 and 7 again. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. If there ever was a statement that one, reflects the mind of Christ, two, ends all quarreling, and three, helps us grow up, it's found in verse 7. Only God gives growth. And of course, the analogy here is that of a farmer. The farmer prepares the field, plants the crops, fertilizes, sprays, and so forth. But every farmer will readily admit that the actual growth of a plant can be cultivated, but is dependent on God. 
Now, when Paul says that neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, he doesn't imply that there was not significant work that either he or Apollos did. He did plant. Had Paul not come to plant a church in Corinth, there would be no church there. If he had not shared the gospel, no one would have believed. Had he not established elders, a format for worship, a pattern of teaching and training believers, if this had not been done, no church would have developed. But it was God who gave growth. It's for this reason that I love the account that Luke gives us of the conversion of Lydia in Philippi. Acts 16:14 simply says, The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And in Acts 18, in which Luke describes Paul's ministry in Corinth, he tells us that God came to Paul in a dream and told him that he had many in that city. In other words, that God had already set aside those that were his own in that city. So while it is true that Paul was expending untold efforts into evangelizing and training new converts and laying out a foundation upon which a church would function, none of that would have resulted in anything at all if God's hand was not causing the growth. We could say the same of Apollos, who followed Paul's ministry. By the time Apollos showed up in Corinth, the garden had been planted, but it needed to grow, get larger, establish itself in the city, develop patterns that would sustain it into the future. And Apollos was very gifted in accomplishing that. But just like the ministry of Paul, Apollos would have accomplished nothing if God's hand was not causing the growth. And if you and I were to be completely honest, we'd have to admit that a large part of our lives are spent in making sure we get the proper recognition and credit for what we do. But what if what ultimately mattered was God giving growth, and that our task was merely to carry out the assignments that God gave us, and more? What if in viewing our leaders, we came to see that God in creating them uniquely the way that they are, with their unique personality and their unique strengths, that God made them that way to accomplish the task he would assign to them. I wonder what would have happened if the Corinthians had seen what God was up to rather than looking at human weakness. What was God doing? I mean, did you know that as as long as you want the credit, you'll never see God at work? The sad thing about the Corinthian church was that they missed the wonder of God building a church for his glory in a pagan city of Corinth. What if they had been overwhelmed with how different the roles of their leaders were and through the genius of the hand of God who saved them, he caused this to happen? The cure for spiritual immaturity is to begin to open our eyes and see the glory of God. It is to recognize that men and women who are serving God are only servants on assignment and that God has been giving the growth. So do you want to move beyond spiritual infancy? Well, first, learn to recognize God's assignments for his leaders and learn to recognize the hand of God behind all of this. And finally, learn to recognize God's results. You know, in verse 8, Paul states a fundamental unity between those who served the Corinthian church. Paul and Apollos, he says, are one. He who plants and he who waters are one. God knows they have a specific task, and he will reward them individually on the final day. It's not the business of the Corinthian believers to begin to judge the value of their work. That belongs to God. And then in verse 9, Paul is giving us a picture. He and Apollos, leaders in the church, were God's fellow workers, he says. What Paul means here is not so much that they were working alongside of God, but that they are working alongside of each other in the service of God. 
They were the planters. They were the builders. Okay, so far, so good. Now, now look at the next statement. He tells the Corinthians that they are the field. They are the building. The point is this. Paul and Apollos have spent their energy in planting the word in these people. That is one image, and building God's church in them, that's the second image. In other words, they are receiving the benefits of the labors of others. So let me speak to moms here. Those of you who are mothers, and sometimes fathers as well, but this is especially true of mothers, will spend a great deal of time laboring in the kitchen, making supper for your whole family. Maybe you've spent hours there. And how do you feel if one of your kids says, you know, this food is not as great or as fancy as my friend Johnny. I mean, his mom makes it way better than you do. I'll bet it doesn't feel very good if you hear that kind of language. Think about it. It feels the same way when your pastor or a Christian leader hears that kind of language. That's how Christian leaders feel when they are unjustly compared with someone else. And this is the key. Paul says, we're simply God's fellow workers doing what God has assigned for us to do. And that's really what was happening in Corinth. And that's what you're complaining about. You're complaining against God. And if they had been mature, they would have seen that. So let me ask you about yourself. Are you ready to become mature in relationship to the teachers, to the pastors, to the preachers, and to the leaders that God has assigned for you? I pray that all of us would grow to love them and to see them in the context in which God puts them. I think after hearing Paul's words, I think we can agree that uh, sometimes we can be hurtful and it's wrong. And as we grow in our spiritual maturity, that should go away. But then how do we address those things when we believe a leader is doing something wrong? How do we speak of that? I think that's very important because no leader is perfect. Everyone makes mistakes, and we all need correction, everyone, including leaders. Um, The the difficulty is that, you know, when you have uh, leadership in the Christian church, it gets to be public, and sometimes those criticisms get to be very public and feel like they're only harsh uh, and condemning. And so many a pastor has left the church because he only feels condemned all the time. I think what we have to be careful about here is that when we disagree, that we still express love for the brother. Uh, That is to say, we are disagreeing within a family that wants to stay together. We want to walk arm in arm with each other. We're not looking to throw one another away. I think that's a great starting place. Uh, So that, that would be my encouragement. Of course, that doesn't cover everything, but I think it is at least a place to where we can put down roots. Well, I think this statement summarizes much of what we've learned. The cure for spiritual immaturity is to open our eyes and see the glory of God. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. Truth in Life Today with Dr. John Newfeld provides regular, insightful interviews with Christian leaders into some of the most provocative and current issues of the Christian life. How would the Bible have us live, think, even respond to issues that ultimately define who we are as God's people? How should we act and respond to the world around us or live uniquely within the church? Join Dr. John Newfeld for these unique and intimate conversations that ultimately provide biblical insight for living as we strive to live as people of faith. 
never miss an episode, or check out past episodes by visiting and subscribing to our YouTube channel at Back to the Bible Canada. For more information, call us today at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.